So Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 6, and then Bill will come and open up this word for us today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Well, it's really an honor to, to be with you and a great privilege to be able to share God's word with you tonight. Um, I trust my accent won't get in the way too much. Um, can we just bow once, once more in a word of prayer, please? Father, thank you so much for your grace that you extend to us. Thank you for your word, for it is the word of life. We pray this night that uh, your spirit would break your word to us as bread and it would feed us, encourage us, strengthen us for the days to come. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in uh, mid-November 1981, a hurricane swept through the, the Fraser Valley, which is just east of Vancouver, in Canada. And there were power blackouts all throughout the area in that evening, and these monstrous winds lashed through the valley. And in one of the nearby agricultural communities there, uh, there's a 25-year-old man, but he was about to experience a very, very real encounter with the living God. He was driving along in his car, and uh, some more months before, he'd been confronted with God's Word. And Christian friends had dragged him. They'd brought him to church. They'd taken him to other functions, different occasions, and all with Christian young people. But on this night, in particular, there was a tremendous conviction that settled upon him because a close relationship he had with a young Christian woman had broken down. So as he's driving along in this condition, in this terrible storm, um, he thought about the sinner's prayer. It's uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, in case anyone's ever interested, that he had prayed just about a week before. And nothing had happened. He prayed this prayer, but nothing had happened. And as a result, as he drove down the street, he was driving past a house where he knew there were some Christians. And as he drove past this house, a voice spoke to him. And it said, if you're serious about that prayer, you'll stop at that house now. Now, he wasn't used to hearing prayers or rather voices speaking to him out of nowhere. And he was so shocked that he pulled his car over to the side of the road and he was shaking from head to toe. And eventually he, he got his act together and he drove into the driveway of that particular house and he exited the car. And as he did, the door to this house opened up and these two guys are standing on the doorstep with big grins on their faces. And they're, they're looking at him. And he's still shaking as he's walking up towards the house. And... Uh, he said to them, he says, I'm supposed to be here, so whatever it is you want to do tonight, that's okay with me. And they laughed, you know. And one of them just said, 
do you know what we've been doing since you were left here this evening? And the shaking young man answered and he said, no, I, I have no idea. Continuing to laugh, one of the fellows answered, he said, when you left here earlier, we asked God to do whatever it would take to bring you back here. And this fellow was completely shaken. And as a result, he immediately sat down in a chair in the lounge, shaken to the core. And he realized at that moment that all of the circumstances that had taken place over the last week had culminated in this divine appointment. He realized that all of these circumstances had been intricately arranged by God to bring him into his kingdom. And at that point, all doubt dissolved. He believed and he was born again of the Spirit of God. And as a result, his spirit was flooded with unspeakable joy and peace. What happened next? You have to wait till the end of the message. A little bit of background on the Ephesian church here, folks, just to give us a perspective, because, of course, we want to bring this into the context of, of uh, um, the church tonight and what we're doing, but it's really important to understand who's speaking, who's being spoken to, and what's it all about? What is this Ephesian church all about? So according to the tradition, the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, and he wrote this presumably when he was in prison in Rome in around A.D. 62, okay? So this would have been about the same time the, that the letter to the Colossians was written, which I believe you guys have, have gone through the letter to the Colossians, yeah? And in many points, Ephesians resembles that. There was also the letter to Philemon, Philemon, however you pronounce his name, uh, and some people think that this letter to the Ephesians was a circular in that it was passed along to different churches within Asia Minor at the time. That is Smyrna, Laodicea, those other cities. However, as you'll notice from the very start, it's evident from the opening part that Paul's intent is a direct communication to the church at Ephesus because he says, what? To the saints at Ephesus who are also faithful in Christ Jesus, doesn't he? So Ephesus, where is that? Well, Asia Minor, that's the area. If you're familiar with what Asia Minor is, that's sort of present-day Turkey in that area. Okay, so you got Turkey over there. If you read uh, the book of Revelation, and I, I know no one, no one ever likes to read the Re book of Revelation, right? So if you read the book of Revelation, you'll find that the Spirit is speaking to seven churches, and they're where? In Asia Minor. So that's the area we're talking about. Ephesus is one of those. It's the capital of what was called proconsular uh, 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 Asia, and it was a celebrated city in the western part of Asia Minor, about 60 miles, uh, kilometers southeast of Smyrna, another one of the seven churches. In the time of the Romans, it bore the title of being the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. That's pretty big words, isn't it? It means that it was a very important city. It was distinguished by what? The Temple of Diana was this huge temple that was there to this particular uh, idol. It was a shrine, okay? It also supported the world, the largest theater at the time that would hold up to 50,000 spectators. Not bad when you consider Subiaco Oval or something in the 22nd, 23rd century. And of course, that's where there were fights with wild beasts, men, all that kind of thing that happened during the Roman times. 
Ephesus was chiefly celebrated for the worship of the of of Diana. Okay, another name for her was uh, was uh, Artemis in the Greek, and the temple there was cited as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, Paul first visited Ephesus in about 54 A.D., so about eight years before that. You'll find that in Acts chapter 18. His first brief visit was followed by a longer one towards the end of the same year, and then he talks about friends that came to visit as well. You may be familiar with in the book of Acts, Aquila and Priscilla, friends of Paul who came to visit. Also Tychicus and Timothy. Paul wrote, Two letters to Timothy, didn't he? Right? So it was favored with one of the best letters Paul wrote, which is what we're looking at the introduction to this evening. It's interesting, too, to note when you think about the spiritual condition of the city of Ephesus, as we just talked about during the first century, is that the image of Diana was supposedly something that fell to earth. And some speculation was that it was originally a meteorite that they then carved into the torso of the image of Diana. Um, so that was in the city. It was a magnificent, magnificent structure. And there are other things that went on there, the fertility cult being one of them. And fertility worship involved temple prostitutes, both male and female, that were then associated with that temple. And... Along with that came witchcraft, magic arts, and of course the emperor cult, the worship of the emperor. So when you look at overall, Ephesus was what? It was pagan to the core, wasn't it? That describes the city. And Paul and others were encouraging this starting church, this fledgling church, in the midst of this idolatry city to do what? Be faithful. Be faithful to Christ and not leave their first love. The reason those words are so important is that when you look at uh, Revelation chapter 2, you'll see the Spirit of God speaking directly to the Ephesian church about that, to not leave their first love. All right. Well, let's look at these verses then together. So the first verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul's established his credentials, hasn't he? Paul, an apostle. And if there was ever an example of the grace of God in anyone, Paul is it. How so? Here was a man. Think of the apostle Paul. Think of when he was Saul. Here was a man who was present when the Jewish leaders stoned Stephen to death in Jerusalem. He was not only present, he was the, he was the coat rack. They threw their, their clothing at his feet, and he looked after it. That was his job, okay? So people were murdering Stephen, and he was there giving assent to that. Here was a man who went out of his way to acquire the authority to persecute, arrest, and imprison Christians. Here was a man who, in a rage, was on his way to Damascus to continue this zealous work when he encountered the living Christ. And this very same man, whom Christ struck with blindness, was then given new life in his Savior. He was raised from death to life, and Paul did an immediate about-face. As Paul says, he was made an apostle by the will of God, not by the will of Paul. 
One marvelous aspect of God's grace is it's God exerting his will upon us, upon you and I. He reaches down to sinners like you and I who are indelibly marked with sin and death, and he wills us into new life. That's what he does. We're incapable of saving ourselves. It is a sovereign act of the gracious, loving God. Paul refers to those in the church at Ephesus as both saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Did you know that you're a saint? Hmm. Did you know that all Christians are equated as being saints? What is it that makes us saints? Saints. Well, saints are holy. Uh, now you've lost me, Bill. Saints are holy? You know, how in the world can you say, I'm a saint? I'm not holy. But that's not how God sees you. We look at ourselves and we say, I'm not holy. That's right. But God doesn't look at us that way. When he looks at you and I, he sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's the holiness he's talking about. It's not something that we do. It's who we belong to. And that's how he sees us, through the purity of his son. We aren't holy of ourselves, but rather we're accounted as holy because of Jesus. And he has endowed us with his Holy Spirit, hasn't he? Wonderful gift. Of course, we're also called to grow in this holiness. It's not just a one-time thing. We are equated as being holy because of what Jesus has done. But he also sets us on the road to holiness, which is called sanctification where we are set apart for God's use as the Holy Spirit directs us through his law and his word coming into force in our lives to bring us into conformity with the life of Christ. Ephesians 4.13 tells us, until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you get that? That's huge stuff, isn't it? Brothers, sisters, this is a lifelong process. You know, uh, don't get excited. You're not going to get out of it alive. (laughs) We've been accounted as holy in Christ. We are being sanctified and changed from glory to glory until that perfect day when sin and sorrow will be no more. John 3, 2 and 3 gives us this promise. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Wonderful stuff, isn't it? Saints are faithful. Christ's children rely, trust, and believe in him. And these characteristics are impossible apart from an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul speaks to them in these loving, uplifting terms. Tonight, if you're trusting in, relying in, and believing in Jesus Christ, then you are both faithful and a saint. You are, in fact, a faithful saint. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's that word grace which Steve Rarig spoke about last Sunday, didn't he? This word grace, 
it's something that's not always easy to understand, or at least if you and I understand it, to believe it is actually true is challenging. Why? Because grace is God's unmerited favor. In other words, it's something that God freely bestows upon people. It's not something any of us works for. It's not based on anything that we do. We don't earn God's grace. We don't work for God's grace. And most importantly, you and I don't deserve God's grace. It's his favor. In Vine's dictionary, it says that it is the redemptive mercy of God, and it is his pleasure or joy, and he designs it for the recipient. Isn't that wonderful? So he's extended this, and it's his joy, it's his pleasure, it's his desire to bestow this favor upon us because that's what he loves. And we're who he loves. You see, God delights to bestow his favor on undeserving creatures like you and I. He gave some great pleasure and joy to call us his children. And he grants us his peace, his rest, his contentment, all because we have this wonderful, harmonious relationship between him and our Savior. And this is solely because of what Jesus accomplished for us on Calvary's cross. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be homely and blameless before him. Jason kind of stole a little bit of thunder here from me earlier. He was talking about uh, Exodus, but that's okay. I can go back to it. Think about the children of Israel after that miraculous crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus 14 and 15. Imagine the people standing on the far shore as Moses stretches out his staff over the waters and they rush in on the Egyptian armies, sweeping them away until they are no more. The Israelites are witnessing this awesomeness of their God, their deliverer and their savior. He's poured out his grace upon them. And he poured out his wrath upon the Egyptians. What is the response of the Israelites? Led by Moses and Miriam, they break into singing and dancing and praise and worship of this holy God. Can you see the same spirit of joy, worship, and celebration in the words of Paul here? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For as God blessed the children of Israel in the wilderness with his favor, he now blesses spiritual Israel. Who's that? His church. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How great is our God? Imagine that. You and I are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we are Christ's. What are these spiritual blessings of which Paul speaks? Think of it. We have been translated from death to life, from traveling on the road to hell to going to home in heaven, from separation from God to an intimate relationship with him by which we can call him Abba, Father. It's an 
tremendous statement of intimacy. We're king's kids, destined to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. We can speak to him through prayer. We have the richness of his word. We're indwelled by his precious spirit. And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? This is what we've received. This word grace is also exemplified in Paul's claim that God chose us in Christ when? Before the foundation of the world. He set his favor upon us, you and I, centuries before we were due to be born. Clearly, your salvation and mine is not is part of God's eternal purpose, isn't it? And most importantly, he chose us. We didn't choose him. He determined that we would be his children. We had nothing to do with it. In him, he sees us all as holy and blameless. Why? Because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. In Revelation 22:14, we read this. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Have your robes been washed? Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse away sin and give us white robes. Only his blood grants us entrance into the holy city, the new Jerusalem, only through faith in him. Verses 5 and 6. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Perhaps there's some folks here who know personally about adoption. When Vivian and I were married, I adopted two of her children from a previous marriage. They're my kids. I've never seen them as anything else. My parents, on the other hand, didn't adopt me. They were stuck with me. They had no choice in the matter. I had a choice to do all, and so do all adopting parents. Because adopted children are selected. They're chosen. God's love is demonstrated in the fact that he has specifically chosen you and I for his purposes. Do you realize that? He looked down there. While we are yet enemies, Christ died for us. And he has selected us. He chose us. He's called us out of that world of destruction. Now, this word predestination is akin to the term predetermined. Okay? Meaning what? God predetermined that we would be his children. He preplanned for us. He designed for us. And he created the circumstances for our lives in advance. In fact, as we've just seen, centuries in advance from the foundation of the world. Here's one that's close to home for you. When Main Roads decided to extend the Mitchell Freeway to Romeo Road, they designed it, they estimated its cost, they planned for it, they put it out to tender, they supervised its construction, ensured its safety, all before its opening, which will happen one day. This is a picture of predestination. It's planning, it's preparation, and it's bringing to pass. Main roads often fails or has delays or cost overruns. 
with its projects, God never does. Because his will can never be thwarted. In Isaiah 46.10, he promises this. He says, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. The theme that runs through this introduction to Ephesians, folks, can be encapsulated in these words. Salvation. It's not about you. What? Of course it's about me. It's about me and my relationship with Jesus Christ. How can you possibly say it's not about me? So let me clarify. What we see over and over again in these verses is what God does for us in and through Jesus Christ and nothing about our participation. Do you see that? We did not add anything to what God has done for us in salvation. He did it all. He pre-planned for us. He chose us. He saved us. He adopted us as sons and daughters. He imputes the holiness of his son to us. He blesses us with spiritual blessings in Christ. Our lives have purpose in him. From beginning to end, salvation is solely a work of the sovereign God. So, how do we respond to this, the immeasurable blessings that you and I have received? Let's go back to that young man that we talked about in the beginning, in 1981. Back to that man who in 1981 Jesus Christ saved. He accompanied those two fellows that were smiling at him in that house to a meeting with some Christian young people they were having it at a, a local restaurant. And as soon as they entered the restaurant, this new believer immediately went over to the Bay Marie. And there were several coffee pots up there simmering, because that's what they have in Canada. He reached over, he grabbed one in each hand, and he started walking around the restaurant, filling up coffee cups, refilling them. Why? Why would anybody do such a thing? The previous week, these very people, whose coffee cups you were now filling, were nothing to him. They meant nothing. They were just people in that church that he was being dragged to. In fact, he felt guilty being dragged from one church meeting to another. Why in the world is he now refilling their coffee cups? Well, the answer is pretty important. And you can find that answer in Luke chapter 7, verses 47. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, and Galatians 5, 13, verse 14, which we'll look at in just a moment. It comes down to this. He who is forgiven much will love much. And out of love, out of a deep love for God, we want to serve one another. That's what it's all about. So what can we take away from this beautiful introduction to the letter of the letter to the Ephesian church? First of all, salvation and spiritual blessings are the work of our sovereign God. But he does require a response from those whom he has called to be his children, his disciples, his servants. We read in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He has called us out of slavery and sin to be what? His bondservants. That's what he's called us to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that pastor who was killed by the Gestapo in World War II, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. A reasonable service that he's talking about here is to die to sin daily, to commit ourselves to him through prayer, through reading his word, through meditating on it, and for worshiping and with worshiping with his saints. Secondly, Jesus tells us in John 13, verse 35, By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And how shall this love be demonstrated? Galatians 5, 13 and 14 states it this way, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. Christ's love in our hearts can't help but be shown through how we serve one another. So let me conclude. New City Presbyterian Church is a fledgling church. It's two years old and it's growing. God has planted this church in a culture not that far removed from what the Christians experienced in Ephesus. Surrounded by pagan idols, witchcraft, and other forms of idolatrous worship. We are a city set on a hill, and we are called to shine this light and the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of his kingdom into this darkness. God is the author, the sustainer, and the finisher of our faith through his Son, Jesus Christ. In him and him alone, we have redemption from sin and eternal life. If you don't know that you have this confidence in him, please speak to someone here today. You can know that your sins are forgiven and be assured of being his son or his daughter. Our response to this great salvation, our reasonable service, is to make him Lord of every aspect of our lives. This is something that happens day after day until we depart this life or he returns for us. The Christian life is a life of service to Christ as we serve one another and make disciples of the nations. May we be found to be those people who are always searching for the next coffee cup to refill. Amen.